This is the Wes and Walker Show. Happy birthday to you. All right, sing it, boy. It's Wes Mm. and Walker. Oh, I like that. Okay. Do that again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Happy birthday to you. Is that all right? Mm. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Me and Stevie. Like this. Wesson Walker Show on a Wednesday, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. You just heard us talking with Joe Person about all things David Tepper and the Carolina Panthers. We'll rehash that in a bit. Keep the text coming on the Charlotte Men's Clinic text line, 704-570-9610. But you already know what it is. It's championship week. It's time to get to the campus. Kona. All right. The ACC came out with their first, second, and third team, all ACC football teams, yesterday. As I said, it's championship week, so this is normally the schedule for that to come out. So some of the initial thoughts, I'll tell you some that I had, was not feeling Keon Coleman being first team all ACC in two positions. He is not in the top 10 in the ACC in receiving yards nor is he in the top 10 in the ACC in receptions. I get it that he leads the league in touchdown receptions, but to me, all that tells me is that you're good at catching jump balls, okay? I respect his skills. He's He's got a nice highlight reel, and he can give you all the freaky stuff and the the, the one-handed catches and things of that no, nature. it feels like you're a big fan of that. But the, <laughs> consistency, the consistency just wasn't there for me. 640 yards to me is not a first-team a wide receiver. He's got some ooh and ah plays, but to me, he was definitely a jump ball guy down in the red zone. That was the responsibility of most of his touchdowns. He had a goose egg across the board against Boston College, including other pedestrian games. So that was some of my initial thoughts. Barrett Carter from Clemson making the second team with 59 tackles. I wasn't a big fan of that. I thought Antoine Ryland Powell Powell from Virginia Tech should have been on the first team over Jed Verse, who had seven sacks. He got... Uh, a couple this past weekend, but seven sacks, nine tackles, nine and a half tackles for loss to be exact, and a forced fumble, while Ryland Powell had 13 tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks, and three forced fumbles. I thought Phil Maffa should have been on one of these teams over Jordan mm. Waters from Duke. Uh, I did not think Tez Walker should have made it. I didn't think he played enough games. He was a baller. I'm not going to take anything away from him in that respect, but just didn't think he played enough games. And I thought there were other deserving wide receivers like a Malachi Fields from Virginia. I thought that was the best duo uh, in the league. And also Power Echoes making the third team. Love my guy from Chambers, but I just didn't feel his impact on the field. This was not a great defense, in my opinion. Uh, Cedric Gray, Gray and Cayman Rucker should have really been the only guys to see some honors uh, off of those teams. But yeah. what are some of your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I think if if you're third team wide receiver for Tez Walker, I think that's fine enough with with him having such a good year when he did return. But other than that, it felt like David Hale was talking about this, too, for ESPN, Mm -hmm. that there were some egregious snubs on this list. What was the biggest problem that you had? Like You went down the list, but what was the overarching, goodness gracious, how in the world? Keon Coleman making all ACC in two different positions. I could have seen maybe all-purpose because he was pretty good on punt returns, but not at wide receiver. To me, he should have been probably 13. 
13 wide receiver just because of some of the numbers. Yeah, yeah. you're not in top 10 on receptions or yardage. Yeah, I think for me, I don't know if there was a, an egregious first-team selection. This is the problem, though. Trying to figure out stats versus, oh, that guy is clearly very good. And mm-hmm. if you're looking at Keon Coleman's reception and a lot of his production, that guy is still going to go in the first round of yeah. the NFL draft. That Maybe. He'll go first round. Maybe. We see a lot of guys we think are going to do that, and then once draft time comes around and they start picking guys apart, guys start to fall. Well, That's all I'm saying. Maybe not, but first-round pick at wide receiver, I, I do think that that's in the cards right now, depending on maybe any awful combine testing or whatever, then maybe he does fall. But a lot of the mock drafts tell you that Keon Coleman is going to go first round. He still is really talented. I don't know if I have any problem with that. We're going to get to ACC QB power rankings, and so I don't want to give everything up mm-hmm. in that regard. Um, and so maybe we don't have to do that yet. I just didn't want – I wanted to know about some of the defensive players that you had. Like, mm-hmm. has is there anybody that has had a better year defensively than Peyton Wilson? And should he even be ACC player of the year? Yeah, we were talking about that. And I think in an alternate universe that could happen, I still think that's going to – be Jordan Travis's award to take. But when you look at the type of season that this guy had, I mean, he was tremendous. And I love it for him because of all the adversity that he went through with the injuries and things of that nature. But for him to bounce back and have the type of year he had, clearly the catalyst for that defense, 138 tackles, 17 and a half tackles for loss, six sacks, three interceptions. I think there's no way he goes lower than the second round at this point. Uh, with the way that he played this season. He had a pick six. He's got three interceptions on the season as well. This guy was an all-out playmaker, six passes, defense. He had a forced fumble. I mean, Peyton Wilson was an absolute monster. I think he deserves consideration uh, when you talk about the impact that he has, State being as hot as they are to finish the season. And he was a huge reason why that defense uh, didn't fall off too much from what they have been. It's interesting you mentioned Peyton Wilson falling no later than the second round now because he's a first-round talent. You discussed some of the things that could go uh, awry in the offseason. The medical testing with him, it I could wonder. Be. That's it what could I'm be. scared about. But no, when you turn on that tape, ta- yeah. well, yeah, the, 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 the tape is great. If you're worried about him being injured, then you and just the, might not take yeah, it. Yeah, and I mean, the numbers, I mean, that's a historically good season. I can't remember too many ACC linebackers having that kind of year where you get close to 140 tackles. Almost 18 tackles for losses, six sacks. I mean, my God, he was a monster. And then also Haynes King was another one that I thought uh, was a snub. It's, I mean, obviously it's tough with Jordan Travis and Drake May, but there's an argument to be made. I know Jack Plummer got his team to the ACC championship, and I think that had a great effect on it. But Haynes King led the ACC in TDR. Uh, he had 35 touchdowns on the year. I probably put him at 13. Yeah, so so Jack Plummer is the guy because I I have no problem with Jordan Travis being first. I have no problem with Drake May being second team, and then you go with Jack Plummer, Louisville QB as the third. But I can see it. I, I'm I can see it. I mean I can live with it. But so, I'm just saying there's an argument to be made. Yeah, third leading passer in the ACC. It's the rushing when Haynes King separates himself mightily. Plummer was not a runner at that position. Only 60 yards rushing on 78 carries at least accounted for here in ESPN stats. So Haynes King, I could have seen being up there, but this is all about the winning that Louisville did this right. year, finding themselves in the ACC championship. You just, it felt like Louisville this year 
Jawar Jordan was very good, and so he got his flowers being up there where he was in all ACC consideration. But there was just so many guys that helped. As It felt like that was the team that because of the culmination of talent, they were able to uplift themselves to the ACC championship game rather than having, oh, that's the clear star for those guys. North Carolina, it's Drake May. With Florida State, it's Jordan Travis. With NC State, hell, it's... Peyton Wilson defensively, and it's probably Casey Concepcion offensively, certainly mm-hmm. in the second half. Louisville was impressive just because they had a, a, a really good players that helped the team overall instead of having the one star you could single out. Yeah, and so uh, when you look at a Florida State-led, all schools with 17 all-ACC selections uh, across the board. Miami finished second among all-conference team selections with nine, and Louisville and Duke had eight apiece as well. Fiddy, what were some of your thoughts that you had on this, and what did you think about uh, Drake May being on the second team? I mean, it made sense. Like, you know, whenever you you lead your team to an ACC championship game like Jordan Travis did, of course, now he's hurt, you earn the right to be, uh, you know, on on the first team. I'm not as upset about it overall as you did. I mean, you basically just uh, poo-pooed over everyone's rankings because you had a problem with a bunch of different people (laughs) making different teams, which which I think... I think what it does, I think it proves how good you think the football is in this conference. Yeah. Like, most years, it's pretty cut and dry. This is who your first team guy is. These are your second. These are your third teams. And I think we had better football in the conference than what we've had in years past. And that's why you're maybe a little bit upset with the way that the voting went down. But from my perspective, I I don't think Carolina got snubbed. And, um, you know, you you, got to win and play better down the stretch if you want to have first team guys in your program. Well, the thing, too, why I get frustrated is because, you know, you get the people that vote on these teams that don't know a damn thing besides looking at highlight reels and box scores. And that's the frustration that I have sometimes. It's like when you really look at, you know, who can play, who's making impacts, who's out there on the field, and you feel their presence. And and real quick, I mean, you look at the year that Omarion Hampton has had, and talking about Drake May on the second team, there's no doubt he was overshadowed by the type of season that Drake May had because Omarion Hampton, right up there as uh, the nation's leader in rushing, he had a tremendous, tremendous year. He made big plays. We got recognized for it around. at least, though. Like, yeah, first I mean, team. 1,442 yards for this guy, 15 touchdowns, average 120 yards a game. If he plays in the bowl game, he'll certainly go uh, over 1,500 plus yards, maybe even more. So uh, I thought that he was the guy that quietly had one of the better seasons for ACC running back that we've seen in a while. No, he was fantastic. At least he got recognized with first team, all ACC. Yeah. You know, he, he reached that. He was the leading vote getter up there. Jawar Jordan, just a couple of votes behind him, which is interesting. But Amarion Hampton, the guy that was voted um the highest running back here making that first team all ACC. So at least he got that kind of love, but I guess you're discussing just discussing like, or you're talking about the conversation surrounding some of these more yeah. talented guys. I think if he played like on a team where he was the lead dog, I think he certainly would have been one of those guys we would have seen a little bit more from as far as getting that, that billing uh, on the team. And again, like I said, with, with Phil Moffat with 894 yards, at nine scores, I thought that he, you know, he was the guy that could have been on there over a couple of other people that got. Because I love Jordan Waters from Duke, and I know he had 12 rushing touchdowns, but, you know, 753 uh, on the season for him, averaging about 62 a game. So there's always going to be gripes with any team, but like I said, you just get annoyed with the people you feel like aren't truly uh, watching the game like that. But when we come back on the Wesson Walker Show, it's Tabor time, baby, on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC.
Wes and Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Make sure you go check us out on our website, WFNZ.com. We have Joe Person. Is he already up there, Mr. Dynamic Producer? What do you think, Mr. Mayo? Look at that. I'm guessing he's up there. He's up there. Go ahead. Check it out. WFNZ.com. If you haven't already heard it, feel free to do so later, maybe later on tonight once you get back from work or if you want to listen to us until maybe like 7 p.m., whatever. Joe Person is up there. We'll also have Hunter Bailey join us at 2.30 to discuss the end of the season for the Charlotte 49ers football team. Biff Pogey, what did his first year look like? And also the hiring of Tim Brewster. How about that? Interesting hire there, Wes, with Tim Brewster. That's a nice hire for them, man. Hopefully he can... Put somewhat of a gate around the Queen City, but mostly just go get some guys from around here that can bring that Charlotte pride and, most importantly, find them a quarterback. That would be great. That would be fantastic if they could go find Charlotte a QB. So I don't know if anybody knew this, but there was actually two press conferences over there at Bank of America Stadium. There was David Tepper, and then it was the guy afterwards. I guess just the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. That was it. He spoke. Chris Tabor, former special teams coordinator, now interim head coach of your favorite football team here in the Queen City. Um, you know, poor Chris, man. I don't feel like we got anything from him. But I'm far less critical because what do you want Chris Tabor to do? I Chris Tabor is up there to run this thing in for the rest of the season. Maybe be considered for the job. He's not going to get it. I feel pretty comfortable saying that they're going to look a different direction. Give this job to somebody else. But I think he earned it based off of what he did with his unit. I think he's a respected guy. And so this is the pl- this is the coach that you uh, promote to be that interim guy. So here's Chris Tabor. Let's play one of the sound bites. We've got a few of them. Here he is discussing if there's anything he learned from Steve Wilkes taking over that interim job last year that he can transfer to this season. I think there's a lot of things you can learn from that that experience right there. I, I think... It still goes back to to just winning the day and winning the process. And I and like I said earlier, I know it's very coach speak and those things, but I, I do I do believe that uh, because in this business, I mean, the NFL train is always moving, and the NFL monster will eat you at any time. And you need to be prepared, and you need to take the proper steps to set yourself up for success. And, and that's what we're trying to work on right now. The NFL monster, he will eat you. Check under your bed, check in the closet. The <laughs> NFL monster might be there. Do you think that we're really going to compare Chris Tabor to Steve Wilkes? Or do you think that we already did that with Frank Reich comparing Steve Wilkes to that guy? I think we did, but I think we will with Chris Tabor just off the fact that they share a common title. They were both interim coaches, and we're going to look at what he did as opposed to what Steve Wilkes did by default. I mean, if he comes in here and loses every game, then probably not. But then you still might because you say, hey, Wilkes is still the only guy that has been able to uh, mount up the troops, so to speak, and, and get some wins. And people want to knock the six and six, but this was still a football team that nobody saw down the stretch going six and six. I so. think very select people want to knock it too. I think most people respect what Steve Wilkes did here. How right. could you? I guess I, I say how could you not? And then we have Franklin calling in, and then we got other people, you know, texting in saying there was only the two wins you cherry picked. Six and six with that football team last year when they were down and out. No, that's impressive. Yeah, and so um, I think that we will compare them just by default. Just by default that they were interim coaches. Yeah, I, I guess so. I guess you're right. I just don't think that that's going to be a main talking point because you're taking over so late in the season now. If you're Chris Tabor, Steve Wilkes, he really had a go at it. 
I mean, he was here a pretty damn long time for just one season. Yeah, I guess I guess you just missed out. No, was he? He will have coached more games than Frank Reich did. I was just about to say. <laughs> I that. was trying to do the math. One more game. One more game. Steve Wilkes actually coached more games than Frank Reich, and the eleven games that was enough for you to make a decision on Frank. It took a little while for you to figure out that Steve Wilkes was not going to be your head coach, and then you would move on from him. But he went six and six. Frank Reich went one and ten. Pretty, you know, that that was the comparison for me. I guess we will with Chris Tabor. There are just different obstacles for each of these guys to clear. I don't know what you can do this late into the season. They're not going to be playing meaningful football. They have one win. If they went out, if they went out, Wes, then that's going to add on six more wins. A seven-win football team is not making the postseason. They are not. That is not even in this division. A seven-win team, that's not competing. No. So that's with them winning out, by the way. Okay? So it's really a moot point. Different obstacle there. I don't think Chris Tabor has a realistic shot. My naivete, if you will, had me believing that Steve Wilkes going 6-6 six and six, might have had a shot at this thing last year, but eventually he would move on as they would choose Frank Reich. What are some of the different obstacles you think that each of these interim coaches have? How, how comparable are they despite them just sharing the title of interim head coach? Whew, man. Um, well, I think Wilkes had a little bit more to work with on offense being that he had DJ Moore. He ended up finding a gym down the stretch in Deontay Foreman. The offensive line was playing markedly better, and some of that had to do with health because you had Christensen and you had some other guys that aren't playing on this team right now. Um, let's see. Other than that, I think that Tabor's just walking into not much at all. I mean, especially, like I said, I, the offensive line being in the shape that it's in, he can't and neither can we expect much change for this offense. I think the skilled talent is very much worse than what it was when Wilkes was here. Um, but I think Wilkes did the best with what he had, but I think the play up front, especially on both sides of the ball, is a big difference for these guys as they step into this job. Yeah, I like this from 228 rolling in on the text line. I just want Chris to find a way for Chicago to not get the first pick. That is the goal. Good luck with that. I, well, that's it. That <laughs> That's the goal. I, that is a realistic goal that they could hit. I'm not saying I expect them to reach that, but that's the realistic goal that at least in the minds of Panthers fans, they might be playing for. You're right about the offensive line. Joe person just hopped on and said, Brady Christensen better than maybe we gave him credit for certainly compared to what you've had with Chandler. Oh, a hundred times better than the left guard <laughs> you've had in there at this point. He looks like <laughs> yes. my favorite guy, Nate Newton right yep. now to he does. Uh, the rest of these guys. He does. So the offensive line, you were working with them, but also Wes, it, that that almost takes away credit from Steve Wilkes. What Wilkes did with that O-line was he saw their strengths and he built an offensive system around the protection and the talent that they had on that roster. Because you did have a better running back. I think Deontay Foreman is a better runner of the football than any running back they have on this roster. With all respect to Chuba, who I think has been good. Deontay, I think, is a hard-nosed physical runner who almost ran for 1,000 yards last year, and that's not even playing all that much the first sure, six games. He was as good as any back he in was the sweet, league man. down the stretch. And I don't I don't think I have to convince Panthers fans. We know what we had. We we liked us, some uh, Deontay Foreman, after they traded Christian McCaffrey. But they leaned into it. 
You knew you weren't strong at the QB position. You had Sam Darnold, P.J. Walker, Jacob Eason. He's a tall QB, Fitty. I don't know if you knew that. Jacob Eason, tall guy. So they had all those QBs that they were working with. And so what do they do? They, all right, look, man, I know it's not innovative. I know it's not Shanahan. I know it's not McVay, but this is how we win. He went Adam Sandler, uncut gems on us. This is how we win. We win with an offensive line that's playing downhill. We hand that thing off to Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard and let them pick up the tough yards. We allow Sam Donald to throw off play action pass, whether it be P.J. Walker. You know my affinity for that Tampa Bay game. I still know how they won that one, but they did. And so with Chris Tabor coming in, what's the strength? I guess it's still the strength is a downhill attack, but you don't have Brady Christensen anymore. You don't have Austin Corbett anymore. And missing 40% of your starting offensive line, that's tough. Yeah, it. I don't think anybody's going to hold this over Chris Tabor for not being able to figure no. out something. You just want to see effort, right? I think and that's why we're going to be looking at uh, Thomas Brown more so. I'm not even saying I want to see a lot more production from Thomas Brown. I just want to see something that looks different. I don't care if you only gain 250 yards. I really don't because I don't expect much more than that anyway. I just want to see you get it in a different way to show us, hey, at least we're not doing the same thing over and over again. That's why you got rid of Frank Reich in the first place. Yeah, and so I said yesterday, too, you know, I think that the guys genuinely liked Frank Reich as a person. And so to me, it's not like some breath of fresh air walking into the locker room with the fact of the coach was just on your nerves and you couldn't stand playing for the guy. I think the players respected Frank Reich a lot, and I think they knew that he was a good person. So I don't see them being like, oh, man. Now that that's gone, man, we can get back to business. I don't see that um, being the case. Now, as far as how they feel about ownership and what's going on, that may be a different story. But as far as Tabor coming in there, I think the players are just looking at this as just another sign that the season is all but lost and or the season is lost. Excuse me. And so they're just going to go on with business as usual. I just hope there's not damage done to Bryce Young already. I, I think this is a guy that can come back from it. It, it, you're you're only 11 games in. He's been through a lot already. We did not expect this kind of change. It's all unfortunate. I just hope that we're able to see some growth from him. That should be the number one goal as we joke about Chicago. The number one goal for the rest of the season is that Bryce Young looks like a guy that can figure it out next year. What can he do? What can this staff do to show us, no, Bryce is going to be fine. He's going to be in good hands. Whoever David Tepper gives this job to, He's going to be in good hands because he himself has shown improvement after the regression that he took the last few games. That's what you want to see. Now, the question for Chris Tabor is if he thinks there is going to be a tough transition. He doesn't think so because, well, as we all know, Bryce Young has worked with Thomas Brown in the past. That sound bite didn't deliver. I don't know if uh, Fiddy's. Are you answering (laughs) Myron Goodman's text? I called for some sound right there. I don't know if you heard me at all. The dynamism, man, it, it went away on that one. Uh, what what were you writing, Fiddy, that took over here? Is there something else that you were focused on a little more so? Well, Grayson McCall is in the transfer portal. He could very much be Carolina's next quarterback next year. And okay. so whatever you were talking, I didn't hear. Okay, no, that's fine. Grayson McCall, possibly a Tar Heel. Um, Bryce Young, also possibly damaged. We're hoping not. I'll try this again. We'll just We'll just, you know, run this thing back. Yeah, the, the real thing is, is it going to be a hard transition for Bryce Young to work with Thomas Brown? Well, and as we all know, he's worked with Thomas Brown in the past. Here's Chris Tabor talking about that transition once more. I think Bryce will do great. Thomas will call the plays, and Thomas has already called the plays, so I think it's, it's very easy. 
Perfect. All right. It's very easy. Cut and dry. Wasn't that a great buildup? That's just good radio. <laughs> just good radio right there. So I, how hard is this transition going to be for you? Well, I don't think it's going to be much of a transition because, again, he's already worked with them. But my thing is this, man. When you look at what's going on now, you know how I felt like that fans of the Carolina Panthers should feel after that press conference yesterday. What do you think the players feel after looking at this? And my point is, when you talk about Bryce Young, this guy came from Matter Day High School, one of the greatest high schools in all of the land. Very well run, I would assume, because these guys have been on top since, hell, I was in high school and before that. Then you look at going to Alabama. Who runs a better program, more of a tight ship, more organization, more discipline than Nick Saban? And now he comes to this after what he's seen this year? I just wonder if his faith is shaken on what his potential could be with this organization to where he's like, are these guys going to take care of me? Are these guys going to do what needs to be done for us to win? He's been around winning his entire life. He's been around great leadership his entire life. He's been around functionality his entire football life. And now for him to witness what he's witnessed and after what he probably saw and interpreted yesterday from his owner, Ugh. So that's the only thing. I don't think he'll have a problem transitioning, but I do think his faith is probably shaken a little bit. How could it not be? Yeah. How could it not be? How, how would you come in here and think all of the positive things that you had at the beginning of the season? How in the world would that have just as much of a foundation 11 weeks in, 12 weeks in, 11 games in, with a head coach firing and it being the second shortest stint in NFL history, fourth if you include non-regular season games coached. Well, I was going to say, too, I think maybe he could look to his draft mate in C.J. Stroud and maybe that can provide him some hope because they got rid of coaches uh, David Cully and Lovey Smith after one season apiece, and who looked more dysfunctional coming into the NFL draft than the Houston Texans did? Especially you had the whole Deshaun Watson deal, which a lot of that was on him, but getting rid of two head coaches consecutively after one season, that definitely is cause for you to look at that and say, well, with D'Amico Ryans, it looks like Uh, good things on the horizon for the Houston Texans. So maybe he can look at his fellow draft man and say, hey, you know, if that organization can turn this thing around and the story's not written on them yet, who knows what could happen in Houston if things go awry. But I think maybe he can look at that and say, hey, you know, the Texans were able to get this thing and CJ was walking into a tough situation. So maybe this will happen for me. Maybe this is the genesis of a new beginning, a positive beginning with a positive outcome for me. No, it's a good point. The Texans were down bad big time and they figured it out with CJ falling to them, hiring the right head coach, at least it seems here, and hiring a good offensive coordinator. They really think about all the boxes they checked off. They got a very good wide receiver in your boy, Tank Dell. Mm-hmm. They got a very good QB in C.J. Stroud playing as well as he is right now. Very good defensive lineman. Well, yeah, they, they certainly have that. But even with just the problems on offense mm-hmm. the last few years, they even have a guy that brings it all together in Slowick, their offensive coordinator, who is making sure C.J. Stroud hits his success. And also Tank Dell, also Nico Collins. That trio is fantastic. Dalton Schultz just making a smart free agent move where you're not building through free agency, but you have draft guys that maybe didn't hit in a bad situation previous years, 
but they're still young enough. And then third, fourth year, boom, now Nico's balling because you brought in some guys that could really accentuate those talents. The Texans haven't had a top 10 total offense since 2012, and they're currently sixth. By Matt Schaub days. As much as you had, you it's funny I go with Matt Schaub. He actually had a 500 yard game. Yeah, they but, had some decent offenses in between, but not top 10. Yeah, no more TJ Yates. Sorry, TJ. Talk about <laughs> a couple playoff victories, though. A couple playoff victories. <laughs> Wasn't he a Bengal killer? Is that right? Yes. Okay. He won two games in the playoffs. They were both against Cincinnati because they were going to go over no matter what. Yep. So TJ Yates was there. Bye bye, Brock Osweiler. Hello, C.J. Stroud, and they're really starting to take off. Last thing for Chris Tabor as we talk about the offense. Chris Tabor was asked about what kind of fingerprints he might have with Bryce Young's development. He said, no, nah, man, I'm just going to let the offensive staff do their thing. Well, I'm going to let them work. And uh, my, my job is to help facilitate game management and, and, and work from there. But uh, collectively, the offensive staff, they're up there right now, and they're, ga- they're game playing. They're all working together. So it's a, it's a unified group uh, working towards one common goal. Unified group working towards one common goal. After you fire two people with your first three hours on the job. This is the question, though. Was it Tabor? Was that a message from... He said that he did it. Well, of course. Yeah, what else is he going to say? Didn't we kill Frank Reich for saying that David Tepper was having weekly meetings with him? Like, even if Frank Reich said it, he's still trying to say, oh, no, this was a collective decision. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I... Maybe Chris Tabor did just look at Deuce Staley and specifically Josh McCown working with the QB and saying, oh, man, they've really messed all this up. But one guy was a Frank Wright guy and Deuce Staley had worked with him in the past. And Josh McCown, who was going to be a Texans head coach if it's not for the Rooney rule in the NFL saying, hey, chill. OK, Texans, y'all are wiling down here putting Lovey Smith in a position, David Culley in a position, passing on him and just allowing Josh McCown to coach high school football and then be an NFL head coach. Now we need to chill Houston, and then they go out and get D'Amico. But then he lands here in Carolina as the QB coach, gone. Just, you have to wonder how much of it is, one, we only need guys that believe 100% in Bryce here, and then now, and then even then. I want guys that believed in Bryce even then, and if Chris Tabor's just going to let them do the thing, or if, and how much of this was David Tepper telling Chris Tabor to fire McCown, fire Deuce Daly, because I, I, I don't know. Just feels weird that Tabor would come in as the interim head coach and the first thing he wants to do, hey, these guys gotta go. I've had this strong feeling this entire time. They've just not been helping. But that sounds like some dysfunction amongst the staff. Go ahead, Fitty. I was, I was gonna say, but but didn't Wilkes make changes with the staff once he became the interim? Like now I remember Phil yeah, Snow just quit because he was Matt Rule's like right hand man, but weren't there some other staffers that got let go? Oh no, there there was. There was, and so maybe you're right. Maybe Chris Tabor did not like the way that Josh McCown operated, and same thing with Deuce Staley. Steve Wilkes, he just felt more ingrained in the organization than Tabor does, and so I I felt it more like Wilkes would have more power. I I don't know about you guys. This is is why it's so hard for me to compare these dudes. I just felt Steve Wilkes was so a part of the fabric of some of the success that we had had in the last decade, being the DB coach for Thieves Avenue during the Super Bowl run, having been a defensive coordinator doing a pretty decent job here, having been with Carolina as a, um, even beforehand, you know, working with this squad. It, it, he is a part of this team. People feel like he is one of us. Tabor, as much as we like what he did, all the, all the uh, kudos in the world – but doesn't feel like he has as much power as even Steve Wilkes does when he does, takes out. Does it feel that way to you, too, because he's a special teams coach? 
Oh, yeah. Walker doesn't respect the special teams coach. No, I wasn't I can't saying all stand that. Oh, I can't stand <laughs> special teams. But I'm just wondering, special teams coaches, they come with a little bit of, of connotation there where you're like, man, you know, you're not really ingrained with the, I'm not going to say more important, but with the, the more traditional parts no, of the, team, what you're the offense and defense. So I'm wondering if that plays into the optics of it, too, the fact that it's a special teams coach. I, I don't No, I hear what you're saying. I don't think so. I just think it's more so because of the history that Wilkes has with the city of Charlotte and the Panthers. I don't think any of us would say Tabor has a rich history mm-hmm. with the Panthers. Steve Wilkes did. Those guys, remember when he was a DB coach, he got all of the praise in the world. It, it's It's hilarious to me. I would like to know... How many casual fans know their defensive back coach in the NFL? It felt like a larger percentage of this fan base knew, oh, it's Steve Wilkes. He's done a great job with those guys. It felt like that even then. And then to see him grow, and he's been a head coach before. I'll say that. That's maybe one other thing. No, it didn't go well in Arizona, but a lot of that might be on Arizona's front as to why it didn't go well. So with Steve Wilkes being a guy at the beginning of the season, hey, you got to navigate this thing because we actually do have a chance to play meaningful football. You've been a head coach before. You've had a big-time coordinator spot before. And you have a history with this team. It felt like he might have more power than what Chris Tabor does. With no slight to Tabor, it's just a different It's just a different type of entity taking over compared to what we had last year. Yeah. That's my feelings. Okay. It. I don't hate special teams. I promise you. 704-570-9610. You can share your thoughts on the Carolina Men's Clinic text line. We got to take a quick break and get to Wes's last ACC QB power rankings of the season. It's it. Riley Leonard made a surprise appearance at the top Ah. last year. Who's going to make an appearance at the top this year? Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. up for Wes's ACC QB power rankings. It's the last one. Don't feel like we got nearly as much drama this year as we did last year. Last we got a little bit of movement, but uh, you just have to find out. Well, I don't... I, it's not even the movement. We mm-hmm. just... Last year, this thing would lead to some conversation. Yes. This thing would lead to some argument. Mm-hmm. A lot from Fitty in the background, too. But because... Fitty respects Jordan Travis and understands Florida State being up there. You haven't heard a lot of lip from Fitty about Drake maybe and so far down the list. Maybe we got a little angry with Riley Leonard above him before. I... But we haven't had a lot of drama this year when it comes to the QB power rankings. Yeah, there hasn't been a lot of drama, to be frank, man, because last year, number one changed uh, multiple times uh, when you looked at how things turned out, especially in that top two to three. There was a lot of movement there all season long for the most part. This year has been pretty steady. It has been steady. All right. You want to do this for the final time? Let's do it, baby. Cement it. This is it. (laughs) We are not changing it after this. This is the last it's the final edition of Wes's ACCQB Power Rankings. Let's lead it off with number five. Number five, surprisingly, making a comeback out of the ashes. Brandon Armstrong, 
out of NC State. Did he he was here at the beginning of the season? Uh no, you he was not. You can't come back if you were never there in the I'm first place. I'm just saying coming no, back is just all the things that he went through during the year. But the last three games, okay. uh, he ended on a high note, averaging 285 total yards. He had nine TDR to wow. zero interceptions, and he won three uh, games in a row, man. So, you know, I, the, the fifth spot, I mean, uh, my man from uh, B.C., um, Lord, I wanted to call him Castaldo. That's one of my coworkers, Castellano. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just ended the season so poorly um, you look at Kay Klubnick, he wasn't playing great football to end the season. There were a lot of guys that just weren't playing great football. Tyler Van Dyke, I mean, it was hard to figure out a fifth guy, but nobody's been hotter the last three weeks than Armstrong, and it wasn't just uh, running the football. He was throwing it as well. He looked like the Virginia Brennan Armstrong from uh, the year before he transferred. And he definitely, he looked good. Um, just to put it in perspective, I know this is a what have you done for me lately conversation, but Brennan Armstrong, the 11th leading passer in the ACC this year, 11 touchdowns, six interceptions, but I'm not denying what you're saying. He yeah. did play very well the last few weeks. Yeah. He looked great against yeah, North Carolina. He's on fire. So yeah, man, I, I had to throw him in there. Welcome aboard from, yeah. from because, backup. Because the final power poll is not just totality of your entire season. Oh, we too. know like, from you last year. We know. Yeah, you got to come in hot, <laughs> you know? Number four, Wes, who's in front of Brennan? Number four, Mr. Haynes King out of Georgia Tech. I mean, he struggled as of late. He had some tough outings, four interceptions against the Clemson Tigers, didn't throw a touchdown pass against the Georgia Bulldogs, but didn't throw an interception either. But he still finished up leading the league with 35 total touchdowns. All right, so I know you were talking about Haynes King not being a third-team All-ACC-er. Yeah. But so you eventually agree with I thought he had a case. Yeah, I thought he had a case. There was the case, but... Not close enough. Nope. Here he is, number four. Who is number three? Uh, well, Jack Plummer out of Louisville. He edged him out. He owns a ten and two record as a starter, which is the best record as a first year starter in school history. Uh, Louisville has a little bit of quarterback pedigree, so that's fairly impressive. And he finished up leading the ACC in yards per attempt and was one of the top guys when you talk about yards per completion. All right, so that that was. I guess 4-3 was the real drama. Were you going to put King 4 or 3? And how are you going to put Plummer in here? Plummer is the second leading passer in the ACC. King, the the tied for third, actually. Wow, finished right there, tied with Jordan Travis at the end of all of the big-time running threat Haynes King was. We know who the top two are, though. I I, <laughs> it, I, I wish we had the fireworks. I wish we had yeah, the big Yeah, a little bit shebang. of drama, huh? It, uh, it doesn't seem like we're going to get there, though. Yeah, I mean, Drake made the last couple of games. He had a chance maybe to get up in there. But yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, he had, a, he had a shot, but those last two games, he definitely struggled against Clemson, whether you talk about the lowest completion percentage in QBR, his career against NC State. They just got their doors blown off from the beginning, and I thought that a lot of those numbers he put up in that game were empty calories. But he still finished second to Haynes King in total touchdowns, eighth in the NCAA and passing yards per game. Did you sigh over there? Yeah. Why'd you sigh? Why'd you sigh? Yeah. Because he just brought up the NC State game, and it, oh. they just scored another touchdown on our defense. And they did. <laughs> Concepcion, specifically, scored another touchdown. Yes. Number one, Wes, make it official. Who's number one on the list? Number one, man. I don't care if he's hurt right now. Uh, you know, he's missed the better part of the last game and probably three quarters. But he led his team to an undefeated campaign. And statistically, he's still one of 13 players nationally with 20-plus passing touchdowns and 7-plus rushing touchdowns. So Jordan Travis, uh, he showed up for his team all season long, even though they like to play with their food from time to time. But Jordan Travis was Mr. Consistency. 
Definitely didn't turn the football over like that. Gave his team a chance to win each and every week, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, two interceptions is the wow stat for me. When you look at him compared to all the other QBs in the ACC, Drake May turned it over a little bit this year, especially early on. He had four in like the first, what, three, four games. Nine interceptions for Drake, 11 for Plummer, 15 for King, 12 Tyler Van Dyke, of course, who uh, is transferring anyway, not the greatest season for him. Yes. But two picks for Jordan Travis and 20 touchdowns in the minimal amount of games after his injury. That was impressive. Here's the list. Brennan Armstrong, number five. Haynes King, number four. Jack Plummer, number three. Drake May, number two. Jordan Travis, number one. Fitty, any problems with the list? Uh, the final one, we're not going to change it, even if you do have a problem. But I did want to hear if you had one anyway. No, I mean, I, I I don't really think so because, I mean, like you mentioned, Kay Klubnick wasn't great down the stretch to put his name in, in the running. You look at the end of the season um, that Boston College's quarterback had. You know, Virginia Tech's quarterback had moments. If he'd have been more consistent, yeah. maybe he plays his way into the top five. The biggest thing I was thinking about is, how different the list will be in August when we do the first week of the power rankings. And maybe there might be a lack of star power at the quarterback spot in the ACC next year with no Drake May in the conference and and no Jordan Travis in the conference. Yeah, I think starting out for next year, I mean, you're probably going to be looking at Haynes King and Jack Plummer uh, as the guys. I'm not sure if Jack Plummer, I think he's got another year eligibility or two in Louisville, but uh, Haynes King is definitely going to be a guy to watch for. Georgia Tech is going to be a program to watch for next year. How many underwear ads will Haynes King do this this summer with an IL? <laughs> yeah, I know. He definitely should uh, get some of those in Atlanta. I don't think it'll be better than Major Booty underwear line in college, but Haynes King it's a great line of underwear. Could you look at it like you got king size buns? Yeah. All right. Well, I've never looked. Uh, when you <laughs> when you look at next season, though, when you do look ahead, you're right. I mean, you're gonna have Castellanos coming back. He's gonna be at the head of the pack. Haynes King. But we've got so many guys that are leaving. Jordan Travis is done. Drake May is done. K Club Nick will still be there. I think Jack Plummer should still be there. Schrader will be gone. Van Dyke. So, so Kyron the- Jones from VTech. That's another guy that. Should be able to come into the fold. Well, there's there's one name we haven't mentioned, okay, and it's really important. And we were mentioning him mentioning him a lot this off season and at the beginning of the year. It's Riley Leonard. Yes. So Riley Leonard was thought of to be a possible first round QB. They were winning a lot at the beginning of the season, but the stats really weren't there. They were winning through defense. They were winning through running the football. The completion percentage wasn't bad in the two of the three games that he played to begin the year, and Riley wasn't bad. He looked good, but the stats weren't there. Now Mike Elko is gone. There have been thoughts about maybe Riley Leonard rolls with Elko and goes to College Station. What do we think about Riley Leonard's future and the fall off the cliff this season took for him? Yes, because of injuries, but also the stats. I, I thought he would post some more wild stats than he did. Yeah, I thought that for one... I thought Jalen Calhoun kind of regressed a little bit. I think Duke got way conservative in their offensive philosophy. I think the Elko just took the approach that, hey, we've got a great offensive line. We're going to run the heck out of the ball and ride this defense. And we could see that approach from game number one versus Clemson. And so I think that kind of held him back a little bit. So it would be interesting to see if he would follow Elko over there with how conservative they got offensively. Uh, They certainly didn't let him loose like they did the year before. Um, so that's going to be one of the more telling 
things as to how this offseason unfolds, where Riley Leonard ends up, what Duke does with that head coaching position. Um, because you look at what he did last year, you know, 20 touchdowns to six picks. He was 63% completions with twenty nine over 2,900 passing yards and also added another 713 uh, rushing touchdowns on the ground. What a weird season for him. You start off 4-0. and and you end the season 0-3, but barely playing in some of those games because of the injuries yeah. and close game against Notre Dame. Florida State, they separated themselves in the second half, got beat down by Louisville, but it was already done by then. I, I hate the way that it, it all played out it for did. Duke this year. And then Mike Elko's leaving. Uh, what, a, what a tough one. It started off so well, and then it ended up finishing not Injuries so Injuries took him out, especially that injury to number 13, because he was the guy that even though the numbers weren't guardy, he would always make that timely big play for them like he did in the Clemson game when he hit that big run that opened things up for them. David, not a Duke fan, said someone said they shook a nine-win hand when they shook Riley Leonard's hand. Was that Smoke who said that? Oh, yeah. I thought <laughs> I was about to say. The pinnacle of Duke football winning okay. nine games. Yes, Kyle giving us the confirmation that it was Smoke. That's a great statement by Smoke. Oh, man, that was a nine-win handshake. Too bad it wasn't a healthy handshake. I hate that. All right, yeah. let's move on. Live Wire with Fitty coming up next. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.